You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Drive Away Dolls, which came out in 2024. It was directed by Ethan Cohen. It stars Margaret Qualley, Geraldine Viswanathan, Beanie Feldstein, Coleman Domingo, Bill Camp, Joey Slotnick, C.J. Wilson, Matt Damon, Miley Cyrus, and Pedro Pascal. The genre would be road comedy. What? Don't touch it. I saw this movie once where they come across this box. <gasps> and they open the box. The case. And it was like really, really bad. I just want to locate your friends. Who are you? Jackass. That's when do women curse like that? <laughs> Those girls just drove off with something we need. We gotta call the cops. Cool your jets. Here's what we do. Sell it back. Shake them down. That is about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I'm a cop. Yeah, baby. Who are you? Save the sanctimony and hand over to the million smackers. Drive away dolls. Figure it off. What the hell? Yeah. We forgot to tell you about the swab guy's head in the hat box. Only in theaters, February 23rd. Driveway Dolls is a shaggy dog love story slash road comedy, which will undoubtedly remind you of better versions of this type of story based on its pedigree and structure. And yet purely based on the appeal of its two stars and their chemistry, it just barely worked for me. <laughs> there were undoubtedly chuckles and smiles throughout, though not quite as many as I would have thought given the talent involved. And that's okay, because I still enjoyed myself during its blissfully short 84-minute runtime, which, to be honest, was still a bit padded thanks to some lengthy psychedelic transitions between several scenes. And it might even be best to describe this Ethan Cohen and Trisha Cook period piece, because it's set in 1999, as both too much and too little in equal measure. Probably a few too many characters, and possibly just not that much story to keep them all interesting. Admittedly, a lot can be forgiven when you still like your two lead characters, Jamie and Marion, played by Margaret Qualley and Geraldine Viswanathan, respectively. I'm leaving town. I am too. That was my plan. Where are you going? Tallahassee, Florida. I've been unhappy. That's why we take this trip together, honey babe. We get our act together together. They are both two aimless young ladies with regards to both work and personal life. They're living in Philly and they're looking to start fresh. So they decide to embark on a last minute road trip to Tallahassee. Sure. For reasons which are barely worth explaining. They volunteer to do this with a quote, drive away car, which is not theirs and designated to arrive in Tallahassee by a certain time, which also has two mysterious packages hidden within its trunk, which they were not aware of. And of course, wouldn't you know it, this car was not meant for these ladies to rent, but was actually set aside for two tough guy couriers, two, quote, goons, as they are credited. They're both called goons in the credits, played by Joey Slotnick and C.J. Wilson. They're supposed to transport these packages for criminal purposes. So the two goons are now on the hunt for our eponymous drive-away dolls as they venture south to various locations. And hilarity ensues. Well, more like mild amusement. <laughs> Suzanne Shinkleman? Suzanne Shinkleman. Who the f*** are you? Since when do women curse like that? 
Jamie Dobbs? You know Jamie Dobbs. Should have known it was about that. And Mary Pallavi? You, you shouldn't do that. He can't fight back. He can't hit a girl. He's old school. We just want to locate your friends. They inadvertently took something that belongs to us. We don't want to hurt them. They're not like friends. Hurt them as much as you want. Yes, there is the DNA of well-regarded previous Coen Brother collaborations here, including previous episodes Fargo and The Big Lebowski, along with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? and Burn After Reading. And with the exception of Oh Brother, which I just like, I don't love that movie, but I like it, I happen to love each of those other films. Who is that? I can't believe this. This is like intelligent shit. This particular caper just does not quite deliver on that level. But let's be fair here. A solid Coen Brothers film is still better than most, even without Joel Coen involved. For one thing, this might very well have the most sexual content of any Coen film, though pretty much most of it is played here for laughs, or just tenderness. You see, at the core of this comedy is a burgeoning sort of romance between two young lesbians who are already awkward friends. It's often silly, but never gratuitous, and the tone of the movie and the screenplay is actually at its most subtle during these scenes of romance between Jamie and Marion. It's strange because otherwise Jamie, as portrayed by Quali, in a fun, lively performance despite some awkward accent work, She's this shameless horn dog within this pairing. Oh God! Don't. What are you doing? <laughs> I don't want it anymore. Who said she wouldn't be here? Suki, I'm just taking my own stuff. That was a gift. I wanted you to have it. I don't want it, and we're not going to both use it. Suki, it's your wall dildo. Still, many of her scenes connecting with Geraldine's Marion have a disarming tenderness about them, which kind of carries the story through, despite not actually being developed that much. And this is where Trisha Cook's half of this collaboration likely thrives the most. She had already worked as an editor on previous Cohen films, and this being her first time being a real creative driver of one of their films in partnership with her husband, Ethan, you can sense that an extra level of delicacy was given to the romance here. Well, that and also the two leads just happen to have great chemistry, also while delivering gobs of silly dialogue with a plum. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Take Alice, too. I never liked her. Take the dog, Suki. I don't have a home, remember? You kick me out. <laughs> take Alice, take the whole dildo. It's your dildo, Suzanne. Speaking of the cast, I wish I could say that they were each well utilized, but it's pretty much a mixed bag. Feldstein has some fun moments here, but more often than not, her jilted cop just kind of comes off as one note. Both Slotnick and Wilson are solid enough in the Buscemi Stormari from Fargo parts, as is Coleman Domingo as their boss. He's just not given that much to do either. We don't yet know exactly where they are, but we do know who they are. We've got a picture of one of the girls. We're all set to... Who they are. I want the package. No, we will find and deliver the package under control. I am unhappy. I understand that you're unhappy, sir. Damn right I am. I've got my two best men on the... All right. Get some coffee. You two are going to be driving all night. Probably the supporting cast member who shines the most would be Bill Camp, who delivers several genuine laughs despite having limited screen time too. He plays the poor sod who rents the car to our titular dolls before getting strong-armed by the two goons. I mean, hey, the dude just has great comic timing, even when he merely grunts. Where do you want to go? Tallahassee. Tallahassee. What's wrong with Tallahassee? It's very nice. There's Spanish moss and live oak. Curly here. Don't call me Curly. And your name, Curly? 
My name is Curly. We just met. It's too familiar. Have you ever been to Tallahassee? No, I got good sense. Your car is a Dodge Aries. Oh, okay. Is that a good car? Not really. And beyond that, there are a couple of more random cameos, which do provide a knowing smile and not much else. Who are you? Democrats. Mind if we sit down? Are they all there? Count them. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film because music is essential to film. I think the best way to describe this movie's soundtrack would be as eclectic. Though as far as I can tell, all bands which are led by women on the soundtrack. You've got your country, your rockabilly, British invasion, but I would say that most of the stuff on the soundtrack is pretty fun. For me, there are probably two standouts, and one of them is actually a very iconic song, which has also been used for other movies. Notably so, including one which we will likely be reviewing later this spring. And it comes from a living legend, no less. One that's almost impossible to categorize, as well as she has achieved success in so many different genres, from Latin music to country to easy listening to pure rock and roll. I'm referring to Tucson, Arizona's own Linda Ronstadt. And this is arguably her most popular song. It was a huge smash as a single back in 1977, and it's actually a cover of a hit single of the same name from the late great Roy Orbison, no less. I'm referring to the gentle ballad with the soaring chorus, Blue Bayou, and we hear it during a flashback, no less. And the other standout song plays over the boisterous, semi-animated closing credits and it ends the movie on just the right sweet, peppy, romantic note. We hear a lively mid-tempo power pop number from Oakland, California's own Shannon Shaw, formerly, I think, of the garage punk band Shannon and the Clams. Well, online there's apparently some confusion about this, as according to Wikipedia, Shannon Shaw is still playing with the Clams, whereas on YouTube she's not. But regardless, they have a great retro sound led by Shannon's boisterous vocals. The song is the extremely catchy Crying My Eyes Out. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Oh, and yes, Pedro Pascal. He's technically in this movie, as he has also been all over the marketing for the movie. And he barely appears within this movie. And I'll just leave it at that. 
The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Strangely, or maybe not strangely, my particular favorite moment is a similar narrative beat to one which we have seen in so many other films within this particular subgenre. And even bigger budget studio movies, from Fargo to Pulp Fiction to Long Kiss Goodnight to Dumb and Dumber to The Usual Suspects. You know what? (laughs) Actually, it's now occurring to me that this is a very 90s trope as all of those movies came out during the 90s. That makes sense. What I'm referring to is a critical reveal of what is exactly inside of a mysterious suitcase, which our protagonists or protagonists have come in possession of. My personal all-time favorite of this type of trope might be The Usual Suspects, just based on the sound design of that scene. A gift from Mr. Sauzé. I got my whole life in here, everything I've ever done since I was 18. So there are two ways that you can go with a critical scene like this. You can show what's inside of the case, or you can just show the reactions of the people opening up the case without seeing what's inside. Driveway Dolls chooses the latter, and this occurs about 45 minutes into the movie. Though eventually, not long after, we do actually find out what's inside the case. They open the case, they're sitting in a diner, and their reactions are pitch perfect as they look back at each other with bemused expressions, especially Quali, who actually seems kind of giddy. You're just kind of wondering, well, what the hell could be in there? Is it cash or something just really pretty or valuable? Now, to be honest, the eventual reveal isn't quite as clever, but this moment is just another demonstration of how often the most cinematic moments are often all about anticipation. We should see what's in here. I bet it's locked. And now the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Tough call here, as I can certainly appreciate the effort from both Ethan Cohen and Trisha Cook. I can really appreciate what they were going for here, but I just feel like they kind of missed the mark a bit. However, that is taking nothing away from our two leads, who are just funny, charming, and quite winning together. I have heard some pointed criticisms of Quali's accent work here. And yes, it's certainly not spot on. But would I consider it any more distracting than the Minnesota accent in Fargo or Clooney's fake bumpkin accent in No Brother? Honestly, no. Any boys, Smithies. Or, if not Smithies per se, were you otherwise trained in the metallurgic arts before straightened circumstances forced you into life aimless wanderers? We're presented with an absurd world here, so for me, the accent just kind of works within that world. Beyond that, I just like both of these characters and performances. Both actresses who have really been on the rise over the past several years. I've been a fan of Viswanathan since her sterling work in the very underrated teen comedy of six years ago, Blockers. She was also quite good in the also underappreciated HBO crime drama Bad Education, co-starring with Hugh Jackman. And speaking of HBO, Margaret Qualley first came to my attention as the disaffected teenage daughter to Justin Thoreau's tormented lead on a seminal show, The Leftovers. She was pretending. Pretending what? To be okay. She lost her entire family. And she has also had winning smaller roles in crime drama comedies like The Nice Guys and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She's been really good. These are just both talented young actresses who genuinely prove themselves as both being capable of carrying a movie with these performances. This film simply falls apart without them. And for that reason, Margaret Qualley and Geraldine Viswanathan are your co-MVPs. No. What? No. No what, Carla? You're not wearing that. I just came from work. 
I came from Toledo. I don't dress like it. Jamie here? Okay, look, keep the coat on, take the shirt off underneath. And flaunt my breasts. I'm not here to peddle my wares. Why else would you be here? To socialize. My rating for driveway dolls would be three stars out of five. You know, from what I gather, there are a lot of critics and folks online who have been savaging this movie, usually for one of two reasons. The sense of disappointment of it coming from a Coen brother or the lesbian sexual content, which to some seems very gratuitous. Now, I sort of agree with the former, and I just do not agree with the latter reason. Yeah, sorry, I just saw Poor Things recently, which is overloaded with sexual content to the point of distraction, and that's just not the case here. All around, I just found this to be a breezy fun time, which certainly had the potential for more. And if you're looking to watch Driveway Dolls, it is now playing in theaters. And that ends another strapped review. Yeah, I went there. How could you not have to see this movie? <laughs> Come on. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.